Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is half Colombian, half Venezuelan professional climber, Alejandra Contreras, who goes by Alita. Alita was the first Colombian woman to climb the grades of 513C and 513D, and she's currently working on projecting her first 14A. And in addition to that, Alita is just a very fun and very interesting human being. She speaks several languages. She works part-time as a German teacher. She also works as a translator and is currently translating some of Udo Neumann's books from German into Spanish. Udo Neumann, of course, is an author who writes training books for climbing and writes about mental performance and technique and things like that. We talked about that in this episode and some of her biggest takeaways from engaging so deeply in his writing. Alita also works as a climbing coach and primarily works with a group of women in Colombia, helping them get stronger and more powerful and empowering them to climb hard. I really enjoyed this conversation with Alita. I didn't know much about her before this and took a chance, and I'm so glad I did. I thought this was a really special episode, and I hope you like it. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with professional climber, coach, and translator, Alita Contreras. This is my dog, Alegria Come. Your dog? Yeah, it's the love of my life. The love of your life. What's your dog's name? Alegria. Like happiness or joy. <laughs> Alegria. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, her, her complete name is like, it would be like Joy, which is Alegria, Dancer of the Stars. She oh. has three names. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that. Okay. <clears throat> How are you this morning? I'm a little bit tired because, yeah, the thing is that my dog, Alegria, she has a very difficult disease. Mm. The name of the disease is um, meningoencephalitis. It is like she has an inflammation in her brain and she has to take very, very strong meds, which make her, I don't know, for example, she has to pee like, Eight times a day, I have to wake up in the middle of the night to take uh, her out because she needs to be. So I never sleep well. Uh, she, she goes, yeah, she needs to pee like two times in the night. So I wake up like, like at one in the morning and like at 3 a.m. again. So I never sleep well, but I think <laughs> I am a, a bit used to it already. Uh, sometimes I feel like kind of like a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Because, but it's okay. <laughs> It's like training. It's like training for having children someday. I will never have children. <laughs> it's the only child that I'm going to have. Yeah. I have decided that she is the only child that I'm going to have. All my money, all my energy, all my love. Is for her. So there's, there's no space for older children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I can relate to you there. Um, I'm already recording and I'll edit some of this out. Um, 
But yeah, really, really good to meet you and connect with you. Can you say your full name for me, just so I make sure I get the pronunciation correct? Okay, well, my full name is Maria Alejandra Contreras. As you know, we have a lot of names here in South America. <laughs> um, what, but no one calls me like that. Mm. Everyone calls me Alita. Alita. kind of, yeah, it's kind of uh, little Alejandra. Alejandra is my, my name. Yeah. A uh, good friend of mine invented it when we were kids, <laughs> and now everyone calls me like that. Oh, that's great! That's great. I always wish I had a fun nickname. I think, <laughs> but yeah, Stephen doesn't really have. The, I mean, Steve obviously, but there's there's not really many opportunities for inventive nicknames with that. But yeah, Alita. Okay, that's great. I will invent something for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. Um, and is there? I was looking at. I was looking into you. I was researching you a little bit. Is there another Alejandra Contreras from Chile? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was confusing. Yeah, we, yeah that's cool. I know. And we are, we both come from Venezuela. Alejandra is also Venezuelan. Oh, wow. Well, I, I was born in Venezuela and Alejandra Contreras, the girl from Chile, is she was born in Venezuela too. And um, her father is a good friend of mine and he used to say that uh, Alejandra and I that we were cousins and every now everyone thinks that we are cousins <laughs> and we say that we are <laughs> yeah she's my little cousin from Venezuela who lives in Chile as you know the situation in Venezuela is so bad right now that um, many of the people who have another nationality have decided to go to to another country. For example, my father was born in Colombia and he moved to Venezuela when he was a kid uh, because the situation in Venezuela at that time was good. And so many people immigrate to Venezuela. Um, Alejandra's father as well, he comes from Chile, but he went to Venezuela when he was young. And now he moved back to Chile. And I decided to come to Colombia like six years ago due to the to the bad situation in Venezuela. Mm. Yeah, it's that's very confusing. I know everyone's like, are you the Alejandra who competes? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I am the Alejandra who rock climbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, thanks for clarifying all that. <laughs> that's too funny, your cousin. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, for anyone that doesn't know what you're referring to as far, you know, when you say Venezuela is a bad situation, what, what was it that you're talking about? Or what is it that you're talking about? What what made you choose to live in Colombia? Okay, well, um, Venezuela has very, very bad economical situation. Um, economics are in a very bad state in Venezuela. That means Venezuela has the uh, highest inflation rate of the world. That means that the prices are higher and higher every day, but the salaries are not. So it's very hard to survive in there because mm. every day when you go to shop uh, or every day when, yeah, when you go shopping something, it is uh, more expensive, but your salary is the same. So it's very hard to survive. And it, due to this situation, it has also become a very dangerous mm. um, place. So it's hard to live there. I, I was always scared. I I had a couple of very dangerous uh, situations over there and I decided to come here. And the thing is that 
nothing works in Venezuela right now. It is uh, even the most simple, the simplest things are very complicated in Venezuela because, yeah, it's 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 very very catastrophic what is happening uh, over there. For example, if you want to go, I don't know, to take the bus, then it, it, there is no there is no gas. Do you say gas to gasoline? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there is no gas, so there are no buses, and which is very like weird because Venezuela is a, is a producer of gas, you know? So you think like, okay, there is no gas in a country which produces gas, okay? And every every single day's life situation is very complicated in Venezuela. And you're like very stressed all the time. But I think what made me come to Colombia was the fact that it was so dangerous like you cannot walk at six o'clock at six p.m on the street like to go for an ice cream or something because it's dangerous wow um yeah and the other thing as as I said I had already finished the university and I got a job but my salary was so bad that I thought I would never get out of my parents house because I can't, I can't afford to pay anything. So I didn't want to stay at my parents' house like my whole life. Um, I love living with my parents. I miss them very much. I haven't seen them like in 18 months because oh, of wow. Corona. Yeah. Yeah, because the frontiers are, the borders are closed. The borders between Venezuela and Colombia are closed. So I haven't seen them. Um but yeah, when, when you graduate, normally you want to start a life and you want to, to get a job and to, to do your thing. And it, it is not possible in Venezuela. There is no future in mm. Venezuela. The thing is, I haven't gone to Venezuela like in four years. And the last time that I went there, it was very depressing because all of my friends live somewhere else. Mm. There, I have no friends in Venezuela because... We had we all had to move out of the country because the situation is so bad. Um, being honest, I I never even when the situation was not that bad, I never thought about staying in Venezuela my whole life. I really enjoy living somewhere else. I, I lived in I did part of my career in Germany. I lived in Canada. I lived in Ecuador, um, but I have a lot of friends who would have. Uh, that didn't want to go out from Venezuela, that wanted to stay in Venezuela, but they had to. Mm. There is no option. Otherwise, you stay there and you live with your parents forever. And, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So your your parents are still there in Venezuela. Yeah, the thing is that it is not that easy to to move out when you are 63 years old. It's easier when you are 25 you have nothing to lose you are starting your life but yeah they they decided to stay because they have their ho- their, their house over there and i help them with uh, i mean economically i help them every month hmm. i send them money so they can they can buy the things that they need and i think that's the mission for all the all the young people who moved out from venezuela to help our parents who are still there because yeah as i said for us we we still have a lot of energy to start working or to see what to do with our lives but our parents they are already in a phase where they 
they don't want to they want to rest <laughs> they want my parents don't want to come here and start all over again uh, because they have worked like their whole lives and yeah yeah so they are in venezuela um yeah and i help them that's what we do <laughs> wow how long and, uh, i don't want to uh, the, the, it, it's sad to say but the true is that I don't want to go to Venezuela right now because Venezuela is not the country where I I miss the country where I grew up but this country doesn't exist anymore mm, mm. so when I go there everything is very bad like it's very dangerous my friends are not there anymore um, so what we do is that my parents come to visit me at least once a year because as I said my my father is Colombian and it, it was almost the same situation for him was when he was a kid. The situation in Colombia was very bad. So his mother decided to move to Venezuela and he didn't want to. And he he loves coming to Colombia. So mm. every time that he comes, he's very happy to be here. So I prefer that he comes and he's happy and he visits <laughs> his family and that they go out for a bit of all that mess yeah. <laughs> instead of me going there and getting depressed because everything's so bad so that's what we do but yeah. as i said i haven't seen them because of corona i hope i can see them in a couple of months yeah <laughs> hopefully soon how long ago did you leave venezuela when did you move to colombia uh six years ago okay mm -hmm. actually i arrived in colombia on august the 5th so six years ago exactly. okay <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I wanted to hear you describe it and, and share your perspective because it's, you know, it's one thing for, for people like me, for us in the States to read about it in the news and read it in the, in the paper, but it's very, you know, it's so different to hear uh, from someone who's lived there and whose parents still live there. So um, that's fascinating and heartbreaking and, and um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's, it's fa a fascinating mm -hmm. glimpse into, into another world. Yeah. You mentioned Germany, and that was actually where I wanted to start today. So I want to ask I you, I want to ask you some questions about languages. Uh, you and I were communicating a little bit over Instagram. I was learning about you and, you know, you shared some information about yourself and then you apologized. I think you said, you know, I, I'm sorry if I screwed up any, anything I said, I've been translating from German all day, so I'm in my my brain is in German mode, and I thought that was great. And you you had nothing to apologize for. Your English is fantastic, but that was really interesting to me. I mean, English is not your second language, but it makes sense, you know, that you would learn English. Where did German come into play? How did you how did you become interested in in German uh, culture or the language? And and when did you learn German? Well, the thing is that I studied languages at the university in Venezuela. Okay. Um, so, but the main languages of my career were, of, of my studies were English and French. But I always wanted to learn German and that came from my father. My father and I, we have a very, very close and strong relationship. And my father didn't have a father <laughs> and... Um, she grew up with his mother only and with his grandmother. But when he was like 15 years old, he knew he met a German man 
who became something like his father. Mm. And this man died in a car accident. But I remember when I was a small kid, my father always talked to me about this man and how important it was for him. And we went together to the cemetery to visit him. And my father was very, very interested in the German culture because of this man who was something like his father. And he talked to me so much about Germany and we used to watch um, movies about the, the World War II together. And that I started to, to be also very interested in Germany. So that came from my father. When I was something like 22 years old, because I used to sing opera. I don't know if I told you that. No, I, you did I sang opera like for <laughs> no, about five years. That's, that's another very <laughs> nice part of my life. And I remember that this year, when I, when, uh, that I, this year I was 22, I think, I had to think like parts of operas in German, like mm. for the whole year. And my music teacher told me, I need you to learn a little bit of German because I need you, I need that your pronunciation is good, that at least people understand what you say. So I took, I took like a very basic German course and I loved it because I really always wanted to learn German because I was very interested in the German culture because of my father. And in fact, that was the reason why I decided to, to study languages at the university. When I started learning, learning German, I realized that I had like talent for the languages. When I was a kid, it was very easy for me like to understand English. And I was always the best in my class, in, in my English class. <clears throat> and then when I started learning German, everyone also always said, like, that's such a hard language that's almost impossible to learn. And for me, it was very easy. And I also studied a lot. I also practiced a lot. But I did understand, I understood that, that it was easier for me. So I decided to study at the university. But as I said, uh, in my university, the main languages to learn were English and French. So, but I wanted to learn German very well, so I decided to go to Germany and to study in Germany to learn the language. So I went to Germany for a year and I like in kind of a internship. Mm. And yeah, I studied a career named something like German as a foreign language. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> And that's the story. That's great. <laughs> Um, one thing I'm curious about when you said, you know, I've been translating from German all day. My brain is in German mode. How do you switch <laughs> modes? Did you do anything this morning to get your brain in English mode in preparation for this conversation or does it just come? No. Um, well, that's, um, I, that comes with the practice. I, I think the most difficult thing is not to learn two different languages, but to separate them. Mm. Because, yeah, when, when, for example, when I started learning German, I couldn't, I couldn't say a word in English. It was very hard for me. My thoughts were always in German. But then, if you practice, then you can, can do it. The thing is that when I went to Germany, I had classes in German, but I also had classes in French and also had classes in English because... I had to study the three languages because of my studies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was very hard because I had 
a German class, then I had uh, an English class, then a French class, and then I talked to my mother in Spanish, and I was like going crazy. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I didn't want to say a word in the evening. I only wanted to go home. I didn't want to talk to no one because <laughs> it was like very hard. Yeah, I was always tired. <laughs> but then after doing that, like for a semester, then it was okay, and now I can I can change. Okay. At the beginning, it's hard. Like when I started talking to you, I, I was like, "Oh, German, German." Warming <laughs> up my, to my mind. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just before we started the conversation, I was translating. Oh, really? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm working on on a very interesting book that we're going to tell you about it later, because it's about climbing. Yeah. And yeah, uh, but then. Once I start speaking, then it only comes. Yeah, I think I have done it for so many years that, like, I mean, working in the, especially in both languages, English and German, because I don't work with French very much. Mm. I have done it so many years that now it's just come naturally. I'm curious if you have any tips for people listening to this that aspire to learn a new language. I still have aspirations of learning Spanish. Um, I didn't study it in school. I don't know why I did not study it in school. I should have, but I never studied it. I've used uh, Duolingo. I've used that app quite a lot, which is just like a little daily practice app. But I'm curious if you have any tips or, uh, you know, moving to Germany, I'm, I'm curious how important it was for you to just immerse yourself in that place to really get a grasp of the language. Do you have any advice or, or tips for people? Yeah, I think that as with everything in life, you have to be constant. Mm. You have to be disciplined. Um, learning a new language requires a lot of work. And if you really want to, you have to give it a time. I mean, I have friends who say like, why haven't I learned English if, if I have started it like my whole life? And I ask, like, what does it mean that you have studied it your whole life? Do you really practice every day? If you tell me, like, I have studied it my whole life because I have, I did an English course when I was 12 and then another when I was 20. <laughs> you haven't studied it your whole life, uh -huh. you know? I think for languages, uh, languages require everyday practice. Mm. I mean, when I was learning German, every day I practiced at least 15 minutes if you don't have like one hour to practice then it's okay we don't have many people do not have an hour to practice but you do have 10 minutes to i don't know to check news in in spanish and learn a new word or to listen to a song in spanish in mm. your case um to, to train your your earring and um, i don't know you're listening i mean yeah, I think what you have to do, even if you don't have like a lot of time every day, you have to practice every day, at least for a couple of minutes. That's what, that's what works because your brain gets used to be in communication with that new language. Mm. So I think the, the best tip that I could give, which is what I did, is at least practicing a couple of minutes, but every day. Okay. What are some other examples you shared reading the news, listening to a song, 
Um, is it just listening? I mean, nowadays there's so many audiobooks that we can get in Spanish. You know, I have a, actually a couple kids audiobooks uh, that are really fun that I, you know, should listen to that I don't listen to. But how important is is uh, actually speaking it, finding a way to speak it every day versus just listening uh, and exposing your ear to it? Okay. Well, for example, what I did when I was learning in Germany, uh, German, I'm sorry, is that I always tried to think in German. Mm. For example, I was I was on the bus and I thought like, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with my mom when I arrive home. How would it be in German? <laughs> yeah. What would I say? How, yeah, like, cool. hello, mom, uh, how are you? How would I say that in German? And, you know, the, the problem, what makes so difficult... Well, speaking is the for for almost everyone the most difficult part of learning a language. Speaking, and it's not because of your um, there is something in your in your mouth or something. It's something that comes from the brain. The, like the interaction interaction or the communication between the brain and actually your mouth. It's it's a process, you know. And so, if you train that neurological part, like the part of producing the language at least in your brain, then when you're going to transmit it, then it's a lot easier. That's what I did. I used to think in German all the time. Like if I were actually having conversations in German, mm. like when I was on the bus or when I was, I don't know, in my free time, that was my hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking in German. <laughs> that's yeah. One thing that's always fascinated me with languages, I always wonder if having... Um, the capability of speaking other languages, if that opens up different types of thoughts, you know, like, do you find yourself thinking differently if you're thinking in German versus Spanish versus English? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Does it, does it change the way that you think about yourself or that you express yourself or, or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the way, even your personality is different in each language, I think. <laughs> wow. Because, yeah. Because, I, I think when you speak in your native language, uh, you tend to be more open because you have a lot of words to express yourself. You can say like almost everything that you want and you have like a lot of options, mm. you know, to talk. And depending on the person who you talk to and everything, when you talk in another language, even if you are good at that language, you're always kind of limited. Mm. So you have to choose the words that you say and make sometimes you don't say exactly what you want to say or sometimes even when you are talking to a friend you have to communicate in a more formal way because maybe the words that you learn are more formal or the yeah um or the opposite so yeah of course the, the personality changes and of course um the, the expressions in every language are different mm. and they are very related to the culture of that country for example in german you have a lot of expressions that are related to time because they are very punctual you know huh. so that express expresses the how the culture of of germans work work and that happens in every language there are some words that exist in a language and you don't have translation for them in another language because that's not a very important part of the culture or because that doesn't even exist in that culture. There are some, some languages, I don't really remember 
what they are, but but I have some I have read that in for some cultures there are like 20 different words for snow. Mm. You know, because in those places it snows all the time and they can actually see differences between the types of snow. So so they have like a lot of words for snow. And for us it's only snow, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is fascinating. I love it. Do you have any examples of phrases that are unique to Spanish or unique to Colombia and the Colombian culture? And anything that comes to mind that expresses that culture in a unique way? It's probably hard to translate, but I'm just I'm curious if anything comes to mind. Um, maybe not Colombia, but yes, Venezuelan, for example. Um, when you say you have. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it has any sense in English, but if you say in Venezuela that you have bad milk, it means you have like bad luck. Bad milk. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, because milk was uh, so important in the countryside of Venezuela, like it was a very um, expensive product, you know, to, to treat. So if you say that you have good milk, it's like you have something that. Yeah, that your life's going to be good because you have a very expensive product to to sell or something. And if it's not, then your life's not going to be that good because you cannot like commerce with it. So yeah, for example, in Venezuela, it's um, we say that all the time, but here in Colombia, it has no sense. If I say <laughs> here, like I have good milk, people is like what. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great that's a perfect example okay so you you kind of teased us a minute ago with uh talking about translating and translating this climbing book that you're working on um mm -hmm. i want to use that to transition into your climbing and hear about that but maybe before we dive into that can you just share it's fascinating to me all the different things that you're doing uh, to make a life for yourself. You're a professional climber and a coach and you're a translator and a German teacher and apparently you sing opera, which is <laughs> quite a combination. So, um, yeah, can you quickly kind of describe your life and the different things that you spend your time doing? Yeah, um, well, as I said, my, my parents live in Venezuela, so I have to work a lot because they need my help. Um, and the good things about languages is that they allow you to work in different things, which is very important for me. When I arrived in Colombia, I used to work like eight hours a day as a German teacher. And at the end, I hated it. Hmm. I think as a, I think the thing that we like, that many climbers like the most about climbing is that climbing is always different. Yeah, there is no, there is never a, the same you never do the same route or the same boulder every climbing date is different i think i am like that in my in the rest of my life and that's why i do so many things i could not work as a german teacher for eight hours i love teaching german like a couple of hours a day or a couple of times a week but not like every day eight hours a day so I think the one of the things that I like the most about languages it, uh, is that they allow me to do different things. So I have a couple of private German students <clears throat> and then I translate like four hours a day and then I work as a, a climbing coach. Um, uh, I, didn't, I don't know if I told you, but mainly, well, as a climbing coach, I only have one group of girls 
I have a, a climbing session for for girls, and I I love it. It's it's it has nothing to do with um, feminism. It's not like because when I started this group, there were many opinions about it. Like guys saying like, "Oh, now you're excluding us, and you're only training <laughs> girls." Because uh-huh. and I was like, "It has it has nothing to do with that." The thing is that um, I lived in Ecuador for a year, and I want when I was there, I did like a course about uh, woman training, women's training. Yeah, and there there are so many differences between women and and men. I mean genetically hormonal differences and muscular differences and if we take into account those those differences when we plan a training and it's it can be very helpful yeah so that's why i decided to create that group for girls and i love it so i do that like a couple of times a week and i also have like a training project with my boyfriend we plan training plans. We planify training plans for for people who don't want to have like a coach over there who is guiding him or her, but they only want a, like a plan to mm. follow. So we do that for people. Okay. So yeah, I do those different things, like a couple of hours of a day for everything. And of course, I al- always, I, I also try to have, some free time for my dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, before before the pandemic, I used to work a lot in the climbing gym because I really like training people. But the bad thing about it is that my dog uh, was a lot of time alone at home. Mm. And now I have changed that. That's why I only have this group, this training group for females. And the rest of the time I try to work, I try to work at home, at home, so I can spend a lot of time with, with my dog. Mm. It's very important for me. Oh, that's great. I'm curious about this women's group. And I wonder, uh, for women listening to this that have never participated in a, a female group like this and, you know, have been exposed to the perspective that you offer, these these unique aspects of training females that are different from how you would train guys. What what are some of the biggest things that you focus on? Maybe the, the biggest things that women haven't thought about in their own training or haven't learned about that, that help them mm-hmm. uh, progress in their climbing. Okay. Well, um, the thing is that normally climbers, we tend to evitate what we are not good at. For example, if you're good, I don't know, in vertical walls and crimping, that's what you tend to do when you when you train or where you climb. That's what you look for because you are good at it. And you avoid the things that you are not that good at. That's normal. That's what many climbers do to avoid frustration. But that that's exactly what you shouldn't do. Mm. You should not avoid what you are not good at. But because if you don't practice it, then you're never going to be better at it. The thing is that we women, of course, there are exceptions, but we normally develop more the slow fibers, slow muscle fibers. They, these are, well, in in general wars, they are the fibers of the flexibility and endurance. Okay. So 
we, the girls, we tend to be better in flexibility and endurance, but we not we do not develop very well the fibers of the strength and power. So what happens, the result is that normally when you go to a climbing gym, you see the girls climbing on vertical walls, walls I'm sorry, with um, small holes like crimping all the time because we are good at it or doing all the moves like with a lot of flexibility. But then <clears throat> you see that there is like a boulder with a dyno in the climbing gym and no girl tries it. Mm. Because, because I'm not good at jumping, so why am I going to try this if I'm not going to be able to do it? And that's exactly what I tried to change. So as we girls normally have the same uh, difficulties, like jump with jumps or with long moves or with explosive moves, that's what I try to make them train in this group so that they cannot avoid them anymore. So with me, they train the things that they are not good at. And I know that's hard for the brain and that's hard for the frustration. But we also talk a lot about it and how important it is to to not avoid not to avoid the things that you're not good at. Um, yeah, so as I said, um, we train the things that we are not good at. And the thing is that when you are with older people who are also not good at it, it makes it easier mm. because there is a lot of support between them because you see, oh, I'm not the only one who cannot jump. There are these older six girls who cannot do it as well. And then when one of them is able to do it, the motivation among the others is so, so big that they all want to try it and they all start doing it as well. So more than a physical training group, it is also about support and about motiv motivation among the girls. So that's that's very important. I think that's... I think that's um yeah in our climbing world that's very important because sadly there is still a lot of machism machismo mm, yeah <laughs> in the in the sport and that's something i want to fight against <laughs> yes because i don't know how it works <laughs> that's in, awesome. in the u.s and there are already a lot of of girls climbing in the u.s and here in colombia it is growing but still you have like 10 guys and only a girl. Mm. So the, um, the female climbing population is way lower than the male climbing population. Yeah. So you still have a lot of uh, comments about how girls cannot do it, about how girls are weak, about how girls only can do flexibility moves because the rest they are not able to. And I want to change that, not only in the girls, because they do think that they cannot. I can never do a jump. I will never be able to do it because I am a girl. Or I'm, I cannot do I cannot do campus board because I am a girl and that's for strong men. I want to change that. And I also want to change the way boys look at girls, uh, climbing girls here, like what they think about their, about them. Yeah. They are strong. They are very they're very strong. <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you go about that part? Is it just by showing the men that you can do it by by teaching these other girls, empowering these other girls to use the campus board to do these powerful moves and then just letting letting the guys see that or is there more to that? How how are you thinking about 
not only empowering women, but but showing guys like, yeah, we can do this too. Because that's awesome. But I imagine it's hard well, to do. <laughs> actually, I have organized a couple of events that I organized um, the first female climbing festival in Ecuador with uh, a girl of, uh, from Ecuador. And the activities were dedicated to girls and everything was for the girls but we said in our in the publicity of the festival we said like this is for girls but all guys are invited mm. if you are a if you are a man but you want to learn how the um, hormonal cycle in women work you can come if you are a man but you want to know how you should train a girl you can come so and it was very nice because a lot of guy, uh, a lot of men, a lot of guys, yeah, came to the festival, and they heard how it was for girls, for climbing girls, and they learned a lot about it. And it was very nice because they were like, "Oh, I didn't know that your menstrual cycle affected you so much in your training," or oh, "I didn't know that this or that," or yeah. So that was very, very nice. And a couple of years ago, I organized here in Colombia, like a, an event for women too, for women too, but all the guys were also invited. So a couple of them came and they heard like these stories about the climbing girls um, or whatever we had to offer it. And they were like, oh, that, that works for you like that. So yeah, that's the way how I try to do it. I never try to exclude the guys. It's not like this is an event for girls, so you cannot come because you are a boy. No, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Mm. The topics are going to be about female climbing, but if you want to learn about it, you can. You are invited. That's awesome. You were you were telling me about some of your climbing goals, and then you mentioned that you not only have your own personal climbing goals, but you have goals as a coach, and specifically goals to promote female climbing in Colombia. Uh, you've been talking about that, of course, for the last five or 10 minutes, but are there any specific goals as far as the coaching side of it goes, as far as working with this female group, any specific goals that you're working toward right now? I, I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, there is a project that I'm starting right now. It's really only in the start phase. But I want to create a foundation about a foundation for women with cancer. Okay. Um, I, I want them to. I, I want to offer them uh, climbing. I mean, <laughs> I want them to go climbing. I want to offer them climbing as a tool to recover, not only physically but also emotionally. Mm. And I, I said that I'm starting with it because I am in the research phase of this project because I need to, to see if there are some studies or something that proves that climbing can actually be emotionally, physically, and mentally good for this woman. And the good news is that I, ha I have found that it is, um, but now I'm just writing the project, writing down the project um, to create the foundation and then to, to start like looking for financial help because I think that would be very, very nice to, to have these girls who are having such a bad time, like climbing. It could give them like an very, a very emotional support, but also physical support because people who are like uh, having chemo, 
or who become chemo, they become physically so weak and the muscles become so weak and they start having like older problems because chemo makes them so um, so numb. Um, yeah, just physically weak and climbing ha- can help them with that. So that's something that I really want to do. It's not to, it's not going to be this year. It's going to be next year because, as I said, it has. Uh, I need to do a lot of work to be able to start this foundation. But yeah, that's like um, the main goal in my mind, like right now. And what made you interested in working with cancer patients? Do you have a personal connection to that? Um, my grandfather has cancer. And my dog has a disease that is as dangerous and as bad as cancer. And as the, at the beginning, at the beginning, doctors thought that she had cancer. Mm. Uh, she has not cancer. She has also something in her brain, but it's not can. It's not a tumor. But yeah, I think my, this this situation where I thought that my dog actually had a tumor in her brain and everything and everything that we have gone along together. And also my grandfather's situation has, yeah, they were the reason why I I decided to do it because patients with cancer are having such a bad time. Like my grandfather is such a strong person and he decided himself to Stop the chemo because it was making him so bad. Mm. Um, he started le- uh, like a different kind of therapy, but yeah, I think that's the reason. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I know that's the reason. Yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my dog. Wow. Yeah, sorry to hear about your grandfather and your dog. And um, yeah, that's beautiful. It's been a hard year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. That's really cool that you're using that experience and, and doing something so positive with it. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, I want to shift gears. I want to hear about translation. Um, what were you working on this morning? Uh, that's, those are good news. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's something very, very nice in my life right now. Um, I'm working on a book, of a, on a training book, climbing training book, of the um, climbing coach Udo Neumann. He's Mm -hmm. a German coach. He's a very, very famous German coach. I have admired him since I started climbing because he he has the power to go very deep into climbing and to, to see very small details that I think older climbing coach don't. And I like very much how he approaches to to the climbing training. So for me, it's very a pleasure to work for him. He's also such a nice human being. He's a great person. Uh, we have become very good friends. And yeah, I, I love working for him. Mm. Uh, I'm working on a book named Litsemsum uh, Klettern, which is a license to climb. Okay. Mm-hmm license to climb and I yeah I'm on the middle of it I think like I have already translated the half of it and it's a very nice book it's it's more about technical aspects of climbing about um training of the technique okay and it's he gives like a lot of theory but also a lot of uh, exercises 
It's a very nice book. I really, really love it. And um, I also translated a book for him last year. The name of it is Clutter Training, um, Training for Climbing. But we decided to let the same name in, in German because it was very nice when I started translating it. Translating it, <clears throat> the people uh, from South America or Spain always asked me, like, when is clutter training going to be ready? <laughs> like, they already knew the name mm. in German. Like it. So I told him, like, it's already the name of it. It's like if it were, if it were like a family name or something or something that you cannot change because ah. it's already that. Because even when people were talking Spanish, they said clutter training. <laughs> so we decided to let the name like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so a little context for people listening. So clutter, and of course, uh, is a, the German word for climbing. And then Udo Newman, he's an author of many books. He's written Performance Rock Climbing. I actually have never read any of his books. And I'm just now realizing, like, man, I, I really should. But uh, from what I understand, he focuses primarily on the psychology of mental performance for rock climbing and technique. And hearing that you were translating some of his work, it was it's interesting to think about. It kind of reminds me of this amazing opportunity that I have where I get to have all these conversations every week. And um, I actually spend a lot of time editing the podcast. And for a while, I was thinking about giving that work away to somebody else and outsourcing it, having someone edit for me. And I ultimately realized like, man, I get so much value out of sitting down and going through these conversations minute by minute. I, that's my time to really integrate and, and learn and absorb the amazing insights I get to hear from these guests. And that has served me so much in my own climbing and, and in my life. I mean, there's so many wonderful pieces of advice and wisdom and lessons that I've taken away from these conversations. I just couldn't give it up. I'm wondering for you, uh, you know, with the book that you translated last year and or the book that you're working on now, what have been some of those lessons or, or those insights that have really resonated with you and stuck? What are the things that you have carried with you from from doing that work? Yeah, um, well, first of all, um, as you said, this is like the job of my dreams. Like, I love languages, <laughs> I love climbing, I love training. This is a mix of all those things. So when Udo asked me to do it, I was like immediately, yes, I will. Um, of course, it was for me like a big deal. It was a lot of work. I have never translated like a book, a whole book. It was the first book that I translated. So it was, well, I, it was a lot of work, but it was a, a very, very beautiful work. Um, I don't know. I'll, it's, it's a hard question because there are so many things, so many valuable things for me about this book that um, it's hard to name just only one. I think that uh, for me as a coach, it was... Um, it was, let me see. I think what I liked the most about this book is the way how Udo approaches to training. Like, we still have like a vision of training, like very hard, like very rigid. Like I have this training plan. Um, today I have to do, I don't know, 
30 pull-ups and 20 abs and whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and even if you are tired, you say like, I have to do it. Mm. I have to do it because that's what my training plan says. So I have to follow it. And the way how Udo approaches to training is completely different. He says like, if you are not feeling good today, if you had a bad day, if you didn't sleep well, if you broke up with your boyfriend and you are not like emotionally uh, ready for such a hard training, don't do it today. Do it tomorrow. But learn that you are a human being and that you are, as a human being, you have cycles. Sometimes you are in your best time. Sometimes you are not. And all of that is related to climbing and to the way you, and to your training. And if you, if you go to the climbing gym today and you have to do 20 pull-ups and in the first set, you feel that you cannot even do 10. Why are you going to push yourself to do it if you are Today, you cannot do it. What you can get from it is an injury or frustration because you cannot or something. So try to be flexible with yourself. Try to listen to your body. If you are feeling very well today and you're climbing and, and your training plan says that you, today you have to do just a couple of things, maybe you can change that too. Maybe if today you feel that you are very strong and that you are emotionally and mentally very strong, then why don't you try today that project that you have been trying for 10 days? Maybe today is the day when you can send it, even if your training plan doesn't say that you can do it today. Mm. Try it. So, And the other way around. So that's, that's very cool because my approach to my training plans had always been in the older way, like, oh my God, I have to do this, uh, 20 um, reps of this, I don't know, this sequence or whatever, and I was tired, I didn't sleep well, and I was always like pushing myself to do it, and at the end of the session, what I had was a lot of frustration, I was, I don't know, like super tired and feeling very bad, and yeah, so now... Translating that book and reading that from him made me change that way to approach to the to my training plans. Mm. Yeah, and that's very very valuable very valuable for me. For um, especially right now that I told you that I have these problems to sleep with because of my dog. So some days where where I really don't feel like training, where where I am like a zombie. <laughs> I, even if my training plan says today you have to do this or that, I say, I won't because I can't get injured because I'm not going to enjoy it because it's going to be too hard. So if tomorrow, if I sleep better this night, tonight, then I'm going to do it tomorrow. And today I'm just going to take a rest or go to the, go to the climbing gym and do just a couple of things with my friends and that's it. So yeah, that's, that's that's it. <laughs> that's excellent. That makes me really want to read uh, his books, and that resonates a lot with me. I was the exact same way. I was such. I was trying to be such an engineer with my approach to my own training, and I had spreadsheets for everything, and I had everything. You know, I made up these programs myself, but I was still like, I wrote it down. I have to do it, no matter what. <laughs> and I, in the last maybe two years, two or three years, I've really been trying to learn how to be more in intuitive and playful. A, a documentary that I really liked that influenced me a lot was uh, In Search of Greatness. And it's about some of the 
the greatest athletes of our generation. And, you know, from, from okay. Wayne Gretzky in hockey to, um, who else, Jerry Rice in football, like a, a number of different athletes. And it just shows how unconventional their training was. And none of those people that were the greats had the best, you know, strength numbers in the weight gym or the best combine mm-hmm. numbers for, for football tryouts or whatever else. But their more intuitive approach has served them very well. And they've, they've learned how to, you know, double down on the things that they're naturally good at and um, really create this unique style for themselves. And that resonated. And that's something I've worked on a lot for myself is like, how do I become more in tune with my body and with my emotions and with my mind and follow that current rather than fighting against it all the time. And for me, that's, working it's it's working and i feel like i'm um stronger but also and i think i used to downplay this but i think i feel mentally healthier with with climbing like i just am um i always loved it i I don't think i ever burned myself out on it but i just feel like i'm letting myself listen to my motivation and my inspiration a little bit more and I don't think I appreciated how important that was until the last couple of years. And, and I don't think I appreciated just how powerful that can be because it feeds back into your training and it feeds back into your focus and your effort when you're giving a red point or whatever else. But I'm curious for you, what has the result been? Are you seeing improvement in your training, in your strength, in your climbing uh, from this different approach? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because... I think it is important to have a plan and to try to follow it and to be disciplined, which I am. I am very, very disciplined. But those are only exceptions. I mean, it's not like, oh, today I prefer to go to eat an ice cream, so I'm going to try today. No, it doesn't work that, that way because if you do that like every single day, then you're not going to train and then you're not going to improve as well. Um, but I mean, um, it's more about this exceptional cases where you say like today is not today it's really like if you do i don't know like 10 seconds handboard normally and that's no problem for you but then when you try to do it and you cannot even stay there like for five seconds you you have to understand that something's happening today and then Mm. you are maybe too tired or whatever and then then is when you have to stop I, i mean it has to do with the really being honest with yourself, like, I cannot do it today, like, really, but not like, oh, maybe I don't want to. That's different, you know? So, as I said, th- those are only exceptional cases. Those happen, they happen like, I don't know, maybe once, two weeks or something. I even, I still try to follow my training plan like almost every day. But when that happens, like, I am too tired or something, then I just don't. But as I said, since I normally um, do what I have to do and only take rest when I have to, it keeps working, yes. Mm. Yeah, thanks for clarifying, clarifying that. Um, it, there, there is a slippery slope there. If your inspiration is telling you to go eat ice cream every day, then you're not going <laughs> to send your project. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for that. That's great. I want to hear more about your own climbing um, is there a specific route that has taught you the most or that you're most proud of? Yeah. Um, it is not like 
the hardest route that I have sent. Okay. But mm, well, the, the hardest route that I have sent is 13D. 13D. But this route that makes me very, very proud is a 13A. Okay. And the reason is that my um, I'm 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 not going to say I'm very good, but I think I'm the best thing that I have is my endurance. And this route was like kind of a boulder. It was very short and it was very powerful, which is what is very hard for me. So this this is a route. This is the only 13A that I hadn't tried in that climbing area because I knew that it was going to be very hard for me because of its style. And it was very, very hard for the grade. I even saw many strong climbers. I mean, like really good at power and, and, and bouldering and, and stuff who were having problems with the route. So I always thought like, okay, if they are having problems over there, what's going to be, how is it's going to be worse when I, when I try it because I'm not good at it. Um, once, okay, last year I went there and I decided to stay in the, in the climbing place for a while. So I said, this is the moment. Because now that I have the time, I'm going to work on it. It took me like 18 goals. I had never done, I had never tried around that much, like so many goals. And it was very frustrating and it was very hard for me, like mentally. Um, but yeah, I, when I did it, I was very proud, not only because I could do it, even though it was not my style of climbing, but also because it was the first time that I was really struggling with a route. And I was really like, um, it was mentally very hard. There was a moment where I really, when I, where I, when I almost stopped doing it when I told my boyfriend like I don't want to do it anymore like this is restraining me I'm not enjoying it anymore like I don't want to try it again but he talked to me and he told me it is very close try it you can do it whatever and then the next day I sent it (laughs) and I was yeah I was super happy especially because of that because I almost abandoned because I almost gave up Mm. and I didn't yeah, that's. I think that's it. Yeah, I think when you when you do something that you are good at, when you don't have to like struggle that much and you don't have to effort that much, yeah, at the end you are happy. But when you really have to fight, I think you are even happier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the process is more difficult. Yeah, yeah, I I know and. Yeah, I I can totally, I love that story and I can relate to that. And a lot of my most gratifying ascents aren't even close to my limit, actually. I had a a season a few years ago, I think I had climbed 13D already, but I was intentionally seeking out a lot of 12Ds. I had this kind of gap in my pyramid because for whatever reason at Smith Rock, where I was living at the time, 12D is kind of a rare grade, but it turns out there's many of them to do. They're just not very popular or they're not the classics, right? So I had done a lot of 12Cs, I had done a lot of 13As, but I hadn't done very many 12Ds. And I, I started seeking a lot of them out and a lot of them were hard, man, <laughs> like really weird or really powerful or just, I don't know, just hard for the grade. You know, that's why they never get done. And some of those obscure ones 
that, you know, you, I, I had walked by for years and like, man, what's up with that thing? Does anyone ever climb that? Does it, is it even possible? Did it break or something? You finally go up there and realize, no, this is, this is a climb. It's a hard 12 D, but it goes. And then putting in the time and doing it. Um, it's funny, but those are some of the routes that stand out in my mind when I think of climbs that just really felt satisfying to, to complete. Mm -hmm. What was the name yeah, of that? A, Go ahead. Uh, of the route, La Jana. La Jana? Yeah, it's the family name of the of a girl. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that normally we climbers try to climb hard grades. Like our, we try to climb in our limit grade or we try routes that are of our styles to climb better or higher grades. I think it's very, very useful for our climbing to, to climb those routes that maybe are not in our limit. I mean, talking about the grade, but maybe can represent another kind of uh, challenge for us because of the style or something. Yeah, as I said, I'm not very good at powerful routes or long moves or those things. And so I, once in a while or sometime, I look for those routes, which are maybe, yeah, 13A or 12D, but that have like a very powerful move in the middle of it or something. And I know it's going to be a challenge for me, even if it's only a, a 12D or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, only with podcast air quotes. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. I'm curious. So I, th I think you had told me that you were the only or at least the first Colombian woman to climb 13D. Um, and it is your and, goal yeah. to climb. What was that? And 13C. And 13C. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I think you said it was your goal right now to climb 14A. I'm curious. Yeah. What do you feel like you need to do to reach that next level what are you focusing on in your own climbing to to progress actually i have already found a route i am working on it i have uh, already done all the moves and i am progressing on it it's very cool because um it was actually a route that my boyfriend was trying at the beginning and i was trying the easier version of it which was a, a 13b and he told me, like, you should try this one. I am pretty sure that this could be a, a route that you could send. And I was like, I don't think so. Because I saw that, because he's very strong. And I saw him having a lot of troubles on it. Mm. Which I think that's something that we shouldn't do, you know. Right. Sometimes when you see a stronger climber, you say, like, oh, if he's having a bad time, it's going to be even worse for me. But sometimes it's not. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. Yeah. It's so common. So tempting. Yeah. And and that's that's not a good way to approach to climbing. Um yeah. There are some some sometimes uh for example, what that 30 B that I was trying, he tried it first and on his first go, he it was very hard for him and he he had a lot of troubles with a lot of moves. And then I said, oh, that's a hard 30B. And when I tried it, I almost sent it uh, in my first go. So I was like, wow. wow. And that that taught me that 
sometimes you have to believe more in yourself and that you I mean there are so many abilities in climbing that even if there is someone who can climb normally better than you who normally climbs better than you there could be cases in them you can be can do something better or find a better beta or something so you you should always try so he told me like you should try this 14a and I was like that looks hard and he told me try it it was a very nice surprise because on my first go I could do all the moves oh that's awesome yeah I was like oh okay this could be the <laughs> one <laughs> and I have been trying it for almost two months but I'm going there I, I go there only every month every Sunday well I couldn't go yesterday but almost every Sunday I have gone there for the last two months okay to try the the route. I give it like two or three goes because it's very, very hard, very long. It is like a mix, a mix of other, it's the combination of other routes. Mm. So it's very long. So if I do it like two or three times, that's already enough for me. Um, yeah, I, I have been working very hard on it and I have been training for it. I am super motivated because I think maybe not today or not tomorrow, but I think it's going to, I can't send it like, more or less soon. <laughs> like oh. I think in one or two months I can I can send it. I hope. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's so exciting. So I'm not familiar with Colombian rock climbing. I'm sure that uh, most people listening to this are not that familiar with Colombian rock climbing. Can you describe mm -hmm. the area and then the rock and the route? I would love to just hear I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, well this climbing area is one of my favorite here. Actually, I am better in vertical walls. This one is very steep, but uh, even though it's not like my better, my best style, I, I love it very much. Um, almost all the all the routes in this section uh, are like that. The name of the section is Macheta. It's like two hours away from Bogota, and the route, as I said, is a combination of like I don't know a lot of other routes. It is like uh, it's it's like a traverse. Uh, like the first part of the route is like a 12C and then you have like a very, uh, like a base B, B6, yeah, boulder. And then you have like a small rest, which is not really a rest because you are like in a very steep wall. Then you have another boulder, which is like B5 more or less. Then you have the coolest part of the route, which is a, which is a dyno almost at the end. <laughs> and then you have a, a very long move to a sloper. And then you have like two more long moves, but with very good holes. And then it's the end of the route. <laughs> yeah. It had 80, my, my sequence had 83 moves. <laughs> 83 moves. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. I found a video of you on your YouTube channel of you climbing, ah, I, yeah. I think it was the first female ascent of uh, Los Tinajos Contratican. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. It's the same. That's the same section where I am trying the. Okay. The ultra right now. Yeah. Okay. It's very. Steep. Very steep. Yeah. yeah, it reminded me yeah. a lot of Waco tanks. Actually, the rock looked kind of similar to some of the roofs in Waco tanks. It looked like oh. a long slightly over vertical wall leading to this cool 
not quite horizontal, but this this kind of fin of rock sticking out that's close to horizontal, maybe 70 degrees overhanging or something. But yeah, it reminded me of Waco tanks. It looks really cool. I have never climbed in the U.S. Okay. The place that I want to climb the most, where I want to climb the most is um, Red River Gorge. I hope that I mm. can go there. So I really dream of it. <laughs> okay about it like all the time yeah i want to go there pretty much <laughs> did so you did you climb in germany or in europe when you were living in germany yeah yeah of course um yeah i climbed there a lot and i participated in a lot of competitions and i went to to spain to visit friends and to climb with them and also to to friends i climbed a lot in, in europe yeah would have been Every some time of your go ahead Oh, every time I could. Every I went time you to Spain or to France. Yeah, okay. or to Frank and Jura. Ah, uh, yeah. I would love to go to Frank and Jura. It looks really hard, but oh, I... it's, it's hard. It's yeah. super hard. <laughs> it looks really hard, but I think it'd be like really fun. Like with, with the rope because the, yeah. the ropes are so, yeah, so so short. Yeah. So powerful. Totally. It it reminds me of uh, the wild iris in Lander. Um, I think that's probably the okay. closest thing we have in the States, but just limestone, <laughs> short pockets, really bouldery and just <laughs> looks hard. <laughs> but yeah, so much history there. Um, what have been some of your favorite climbing destinations, places that you've you've climbed? Well, I think my favorite place is El Salto in Mexico. Okay. I love that place. That's the place where I did the, the 13th and the 13th. Um, it's, Mexico has a lot of climbing potential. There are mm. so many areas to develop, and Mexican people and Mexican food is the best. So <laughs> <laughs> I I love that country. I would I could live there. Mm. I I really like that country. Um, El Salto has a lot of potential and has already a lot of very good routes. Like uh, the quality is very very high and. I think I haven't tried one route where I had said like oh, this. I would never do it again. All the routes were amazing. Wow! Very high quality climbing. Yeah, I think that's the first one. Um, I like Rodellar in Spain very much. Chorro in South Spain. I was in Oliana once too, but I I was like. Um, I was not on those grades. Like mm. at that moment, I, I had been climbing like only for four years. So when I went there, like everything was very hard for me. But even though I tried a lot of things and wow. Yeah, Oliana is also very cool. Yeah. And Frank and Jura, of course. Although Frank and Jura is very hard for me, especially because it's the opposite to my, cl to my climbing style. Mm. But I think if you climb there a lot, you're, you can get very 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 strong mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i find that the short powerful routes always seem to the shorter routes always seem to translate to the longer routes it seems to help everything if you get better at that yeah, style yeah exactly yeah if you can do it without getting injured <laughs> yeah <laughs> one thing i wanted to ask you about you know you're talking about this 514 that you're trying close to home and you've been trying it for a couple months and you're hoping you can do it within another month or two. Um, something that you said that piqued my interest when we chatted before is that, you know, you're near the equator and you don't have seasons. 
And I'd never really thought about that, but I'm curious how you approach outdoor projects, how you mix that in with your your schedule when you zoom out and look at your year or your months and you're thinking about how to train and when to try to perform. Yeah, what are, what are the tactics? How do you approach that living in a place near the equator with no real seasons? Well, that, that's a very nice question because that's, that's uh, a topic for us. I mean, yeah, having the possibility of climbing outdoors the whole year is great, but it also makes hard to to planify your training or when are you going to go for your for your projects yeah I, I i actually actually had this problem with this route like when i started trying it i was in a phase of my training where i was always tired because the training was very hard and the thing is that i was very motivated to because of the route because i could do all the moves and i started training very hard for it but the result was that every time i went there to try it I was so tired that yeah, I could do all the time. I could do all the times I could do all the moves, but there was not progression like in um, making section in in yeah. How do you say that? Making links. Yeah, making links. Thank you. Um, because I was super tired all the time, so I decided to change my training. I was like, okay, I think that if I already did the, the moves. Um, maybe it's the time right now to to start like trying it seriously and to train to to change my training to make it easier because actually my plan was to train very hard the whole year and to go to somewhere else like at the end of the year to try a 49 that all the people recommended me because it's more or less my style and everything so that was the goal like train the whole year and go in there in November. That's far away from here. So the plan was to go there like for a month at the end of the year. But then this route up here, <laughs> this one that I am trying now, um, even though I haven't like finished my whole training or what I planned for my training for this year, I changed it. I thought like, maybe I'm ready already. <laughs> and I can start like, trying it seriously so yeah i i just changed my training but what i normally do is that as i said i at the beginning of the year i say like okay my goal for this year is whatever and i'm going to try that project i don't know in september october whatever so i'm going to train like thinking about that like to be able to do it in september october whatever but the rest of the year i'm I'm going climbing outdoors anyways, like maybe not trying my limits, but yeah, but almost like this year before this one route, I was like um, doing some 13 A's, 13 B's that I hadn't done, which is not like my limit, but it's not also like easy for me. It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I have to give them some goals to to. 13 B's or 13 A's, depending on the style and so. But yeah, we climb the whole year, or I climb the whole year outdoors, but I do planify my training for a, a specific goal at some moment, at any moment of the year, at some moment of the year. Mm-hmm. Is that common for you to go into a new year and think of one big goal, one specific route that you want to accomplish that year? No, 
<laughs> Actually, I run away from that normally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think projecting routes is more than physically hard, mentally hard. Mm. Yeah. Um, in fact, the first time that I said to myself, like, I want to do this or that was two years ago when I did those routes in, in Mexico. At the beginning of the year, I said, like, I want to be the first woman here to climb 13C. And I'm going to train the whole year for that. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to go to Mexico. And because many people have told me, like, El Salto is a place where you could have a lot of success because the, the climbing style is, like, very, very uh, similar to your climbing style. It's going to be... A, very good for you and so many people recommended me to go there that I said maybe the place where I can do this 13 C is there so I went there so I trained the whole year with that goal and I went there and sort of surprisingly I could even I could send a 13 D before I sent 13 C <laughs> like a route that was wow like really my style of climbing and I did it in eight goals and then I I did a couple of 13 scenes. But yeah, that, that was like the very first time. I've been climbing for 14 years. And two years ago was the first time that I really said, like, I want to do that. Mm. Last year, I wanted to try my first 14A. But because of the pandemic, I had to stop climbing like for thir- three months or something. Then there was no chance. Mm. So this year I said, okay, this year. <laughs> What do you hope to accomplish in your own climbing? Do you have any big, lofty, you know, dream goal that you hope to achieve? Actually, I just want to continue improving. I don't know if someday I'm going to be able to climb 8C plus or 9A. Why not? I think there are so <laughs> many great. girls right now climbing so hard that... Why not? I they, love it. They are so motivating and they show you that it's possible. Why not? If I think if you train very hard, maybe you can do it. And if you have, if you find a line, a route that is like very much in your style, maybe you could do it. But I have never thought like, I want to climb 98 or something. The truth is that when I started climbing, I was like, oh, if maybe one day I do 12A, that's going to be great. Then when I did my first 12, 12A, I would like to climb someday for uh, 13A and then maybe 14A. I think <laughs> when you are improving, then for me, it's like that. It's not like, like I have always dreamt of climbing 9A or something, but I have always thought like once I improve, I want a bit more and a bit more and a bit, a bit more. Mm-hmm. For now, I want to do this 14A and maybe when I do it, I will want to... 14B, I don't know. It's always like that. But I don't have like a dream goal or something, no. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And I'm the exact same way. I remember distinctly thinking when I was in college that if I ever climbed V10 and 13A outside on rock, I could die happy. And I don't know why. I think I thought those two were equivalent in my brain. (laughs) And now I realize that's, (laughs) that's kind of skewed. But um. 
but yeah, those were <laughs> those were the numbers. And then, you know, before I even reached those numbers, that bar had already moved up. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not as hard as I had thought. So let's bump it up a little bit. But yeah, it, it, it's funny. It, it just keeps moving. <laughs> there's always there's always the next step. Okay. But I think that's my, one of my favorite parts, actually, is that something feels so lofty and so intimidating and improbable. And then you start making these steps towards it. And I think my favorite moments in climbing are those moments when you realize that you can actually do that. Not necessarily yeah. even the send, but just realizing like, oh, wow, I'm capable of doing this. I'm I'm strong enough. I'm good enough to do this. Yeah, It's so, man, that just lights me up. It, it will fuel my fire for seasons. <laughs> and then you're just always chasing that. And it gets my imagination going about what else might be possible. And I love that, that process. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important. What you said, like, um, keeping it fun and enjoying the process is very, very important. And I think that's the hard part about projecting a route Then maybe when you have tried it, the route so many times, there is, some point where you start like feeling frustrated or to start you start like getting sick of it and not wanting to try it anymore mm. uh, because i don't know you don't make any progress or you don't make the progress that you would like to um but i think yeah that is very important to to enjoy the process and i think i am doing it right now like last the last time that i tried the, the route i could go one move farther than the last time that I did it. And it was for me, like, I was super happy. Mm. I was like, I didn't send it, of course, but I did it a, li- a bit better than last time. So it's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome to hear. What is the name of the 14A that you're trying? Ferrari. Ferrari. Yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to look it up. I'll, I'll see if I can find it for people. No, uh, you will not find it. It's, no? very, it's, it's, it's a very, very new route. Okay. It was, okay. Um, yeah, it was bolted like, as I said, it is the combination of some routes. So you go through some other routes, but uh, the guy who who had the idea of combining this whole, this this eight routes more or less um, bolted some. Um, I forgot the name of the some bolts. And and yeah, it's very very new. It has only three three ascents. Gotcha. Well, I will share the the video of you climbing at that crag and doing that thirteen B. I'll share that in the show notes for people. I wanted to ask you a question about that video. Uh, when you're preparing to do the final red point attempt in the video, the whole thing's in Spanish, so I have no idea what's going on. But it's you talking about the route and then attempting the route. Uh, but there's a quick scene where you're getting ready, you have tape on your hands, you're, you're putting tape on your fingers and uh, you're putting your shoes on and you have your phone stuffed into your sports bra and you're listening to something. And I was really curious, what music do you listen to to get ready for an attempt on your project? What do you like to listen to? Um, I have some options. <laughs> um, I, I told you that I lived in Canada. Yeah. Um, when I lived in Canada, I wanted to. Um, I started competing again. I stopped participating in competitions for a couple of years, 
And when I arrived there, it was winter, so there was no possibility to climb outdoors, especially because it's just fucking cold in Canada. <laughs> yeah. When was this? So, what? When was this? When did you live in Canada? Uh, 2015. Okay. Before coming to Colombia. Yeah. Is this after? Is this before or after your time in Germany? Just curious. After. Okay. Got mm -hmm. it just before coming to Colombia. And yeah, I I thought like, okay, if I cannot climb outdoors, it's going to be hard to keep motivate, motivated and to train that hard. So I'm going to start competing again so that I have a motivation for my training. The thing is that competing in Canada is super expensive. Uh, I have a scholarship to be in Canada, but it was not that good. So I said, okay, I'm I'm going to participate to participate in only one competition to know how it is here because the competitions over there are great because of the holds and everything and the climbing gyms and everything. So I said, I'm going to participate in one competition just to have the experience. And I, when I looked in the internet who was going to participate there was like the information of the other competitors like uh i don't know who she was like champion of canada for four five years uh, whatever and she participated in world cups whatever and i was like okay well <laughs> i'm going to have the experience and i went to the competition and i won the competition it wow yeah, it yeah it was very very a, a huge surprise for me because even in the qualifications round uh, we were like ninety eight women and I remember that I thought that I was not going to qualify for the finals and I was about to go to my house and I thought I'm going home I'm going to eat something I'm I'm going to come back at time to to watch the finals <laughs> and then the results came came out and I said oh, okay I'm going to see what my place is and I qualified second I was like oh it was good that I didn't go home <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I competed I competed and I I won the competition at the end and I was so happy and I really didn't expect that to happen and the the best part for me of winning the competition was not of course it was great to win but i think the best part was that or the way how i remember this competition is me having a very good time being super happy for being there i, I, I it was for me already enough to be in the final so i had no expectations mm. and i just enjoyed very much the competition at the end i could flash four or five boulders um I won and this great sensation of just having fun and feeling great at climbing is something that I always want to have with me. So I remember that when I, I started the first boulder, they played a song. And then when I tried the third boulder, they repeated that song. And at the end of the competition, again, so that song reminds me to that competition and to the feeling that I had while I was competing. So that's the song that I almost always listen to before a project or before competing or something. I love that story. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> what is the song? Do you know the name? Um, yeah, the band, 
name is Icona Pop. <laughs> okay. This is a pop song, and the name of the song is All Night. All Night. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun song between girls, and yeah, it's, it's super fun. <laughs> happy, yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to listen that's to it. That's my song. I, okay. That's your song. <laughs> we'll share it for people so that we can all share that happy that happy experience uh, when we're tying in. That's great. <laughs> um, I have a listener question for you. This is from Eli. And Eli was curious, what is the local climbing like in your home area? And what are some of the similarities and differences in climbing culture that you have observed uh, climbing around the world in different places. Okay, the first one was about the climbing areas here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, when I decided to come to Colombia, I decided to come to Bogota because um, there are many climbing areas near from Bogota. There are like that's seven the capital. Or eight different. Yeah, that's the capital. Uh, you have like six or seven different climbing areas um, to do lead, and you have also some bouldering areas. So best place to be there are many to go bouldering or to go for lead climbing or also track climbing too so yeah there are many different areas um i think one of the best or and most beautiful things about climbing is that i have been in many different countries being a climber and it feels like even though you don't speak the same language or your culture is very different or your religion is very different, there is this love about climbing that makes us a big family. Mm. Like if you go somewhere and you say that you are a climber and you find another climbing there, it's like if you are part of the same family and you always find friends like very easily. And yeah, I think we are very lucky to be part of this climbing family it has made my life so much easier when i have gone to other countries i know my experience maybe in germany or canada would have been very different if i were if i weren't a climber because it was always like that that i arrived in the climbing gym alone like okay i'm i'm going to train for a bit and then you always found someone who was trying the same order that you were and then you we're suddenly very good friends because you were trying the same fall. <laughs> and then the next day, this person would say hi. And then maybe two days later, like, oh, would, would you like to come climbing outdoors? And then maybe two weeks later, like, would you go, Would you like to come to this party with me? And then by sudden, you had very good friends only because you shared the same passion. So, yeah, that's that's some, and that's something that I have found everywhere I have gone. Mm in Ecuador, in Venezuela, in Germany, everywhere. Like, we are part of the same thing, and that makes us friends. <laughs> and differences? Uh, can you repeat the question? Did she ask about the culture? What did she say? Yeah, Eli, he, he was curious about the similarities and differences in climbing culture. So, yeah, what are some of the differences you've, you've noticed in the cultures? Oh, okay in different climbing areas around the world? Yeah. For example, in, in Germany, they were like very, very um, aware about security and all that, that stuff. For example, in Venezuela, I never did partnership before I went to Germany because mm. that, was not, that, that was not like normal 
over there. And then I went to Germany and every time I wanted to climb or to be lazy on one, they were like always doing partnership. And then when I get got back to Venezuela and I wanted to do that, people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you looking at my so knot? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I can't do my math. Where to worry about? Yeah, that's funny. For example, yeah, and yeah, for example, that that's something that that I found interested, interesting. But uh, it was good because I did it all the time in Venezuela, even though my friends didn't like me to do it. And at the end, all of my friends were doing it as well. Oh, that's great! I to them, like how important it was. And I saw a couple of accidents even in Germany because the the people the persons who were climbing did not do this partner check thing. So at the end they were always doing it as well. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> German people are very responsible. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good thing to uh to take back with you from their culture, <laughs> partner check. <laughs> Well, Alita, this has been amazing. I just have a couple more questions for you. And this is one that I like to ask everybody in wrapping up. But um, this has been so much fun. It's been so fun to connect. And I'm so glad that we connected. It's been so fun to to learn about you. What Thank is, you. It has been fun. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. What is something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately? For having my dog. <laughs> yeah, I kind of suspected you'd say that. Alegria. You have no idea. This, the thing is that she started with this disease like a couple of years ago. How and old is she? Very hard to. She is going to be seven years this year at the end of the year. Um, the thing is that we have had these two years have been so so hard because of her disease. We have gone to through so many hard times it has been so so sad sometimes she she was in hospital for 21 years um in february of this year and i cried every single day I, that i wasn't with her i thought every single day that she was going to die i was very very wor- worried about her and her treatment has been also so hard her disease is very complicated and her doctor says that we don't know how long is she going to be here. Mm. Well, I'm sorry. This is a, a hard conversation. For yeah, me. I can so see it. Every every single day, I I am very grateful. I I thank God or the universe or whatever. For <laughs> yeah. One, <laughs> for one more day, um, for one more day with her by my side. Every single day, every single day, I kiss her and I tell her like, thank you for being here one more day with me. Mm. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that I still have her. I don't know how long more she's going to be here, but yeah, I try to, to spend a lot of time with her and to make her so happy as I can while she's here with me. Yeah. She's your child. (laughs) She's my baby. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is, that is beautiful. She was in the hospital for 21 days. Yeah, she she was in the hospital for 21 days. She um the thing is that she's epileptic. Mm. So so she has this how do you say that in English convulsions or convulsions or yeah. whatever. Yeah, or seizures. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she had one that the doctors could not stop, so she had to go to the hospital. And they had to give her a lot of medicines. And it was super hard. I really felt that she was going to die. The first three days, the doctor told me, like, you have to be prepared for the worst because it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but then she she started getting better. Um, yeah, the doctor said also that the love between us is so so strong that it makes her healed too. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And I hope you have many, many more happy days. Thank you. <laughs> with joy, with your dog. Yeah, that's great. Alita, do you have any final thoughts or any words of advice or any message that you'd like to share with with people before I let you go? Um, maybe with female climbers in Colombia that are curious about climbing or, or, or just anything you'd like to share? Yeah, um, well, I, I would like to say, like everyone over there, that um, even... This these two years have been very hard for everyone. For someone, for some people, harder harder than for older people. But for everyone, there have been changes. Many people have seen family uh, deaths. Um, this Corona thing has affected us in many different ways. But I think it's kind of a new opportunity for everyone. It has also awakened us in some in some way. Mm. So I would say to everyone that maybe it is the time to start doing what we want to do, to start like fighting for our dreams or whatever we want to do, because we never know how long we're going to be here. Like this whole Corona situation and also the disease of my dog and of my grandfather has taught me so much and has shown me how how easy it is to not to just... Um, die or not be here anymore that we really have to try to to make of our lives what we want them to be like if you want to be a climber just go for it if you want to be an artist just go for it if you want to be a doctor just go for it because yeah we don't know if you if we have two lives or three or more we only know that we have this one so we have to do to make the best from this life that we have mm. That's it. <laughs> that's beautiful. That is a, that's a beautiful message and such a good note to leave people with. Uh, Maria Alejandra Contreras. <laughs> wow. Uh, no one calls me like that. <laughs> Only my mother when she's angry. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Alita, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Um, at Alita Climbing on Instagram. Is there anywhere else where, where people can connect with you and follow your story and see what you're up to? Uh, no, I think Instagram is the place. That's the, I also, okay. I have Facebook, but I never use it. So okay, <laughs> okay, I'll be I'll be sure to link to your Instagram in the show notes for people. And thanks again. This is really fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me here. I I really like your podcast, and I have listened to a lot of them. I told you the especially the one with Allison was very inspiring for me. Um, yeah, thank you for this job that you do. It's very, very, very nice, very inspiring. Thank you for for your time and for yeah for taking the time to to do this. Well, thank you. It's it's my pleasure to have you, and that means a lot. So thanks very much. <laughs> Good.
good. Have a nice day. All right. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to see you at the Red someday. Oh, hopefully. I will let you know. Or in El Salto. I've been meaning to go there as well. When I go. When you go. go. Perfect. Perfect. I'll do the same. (laughs) All right. I'll be in touch soon. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. Hey friends, just a quick note before you go. I checked in with Alita a few days ago. This is about a month after our recorded conversation. I wanted a progress update on the 14A and she's still making progress but hasn't sent it yet. And I asked her about her dog, Alegria, and she said that Alegria is doing great. She stopped taking a very strong medication recently and has a lot more energy again. So... Really cool to hear that. I just wanted to pass that along to all of you who are listening. And that's it. Thanks so much, friends, for tuning in to another episode. Much love. And we'll see you next time. Like we do.